a lot of uh, visuals uh, coming across the TV and the radio, the internet about uh, 10 years ago and the tragedy that struck. And this morning, I, I do want to zero in on that um, for our thoughts. I, I'm not going to try and go over facts and figures or whatever, uh, statistics or something. Uh, uh, we're not going to do a, a, VC, a DVD, whatever, you know, pictures. We already did that. And um, here this morning, I think, um, first of all, let me also say this. I I keep forgetting, but I want to say it. Um, It it is a great privilege for me to uh, come and open up the Word of God. Uh, That's what we need to do here. Um, It's not about politics or uh, community policies or whatever. Um, It's about what God tells us in His Word. And um, if you're here visiting, that's what we do here at Parkside Bible Fellowship. And I want to just say uh, thank you to you folks. Um, you're a blessing uh, to, you know, minister to and, and uh, bring the word of God to. Um, God help us all to not just hear it, but be doers of the word. Okay. Um, and so I guess what got me thinking on on today's time and preparing this week for it is this just this this term tragedy um young people um most of you have not really faced tragedy and at some point you will and the more that you can uh, learn about running to jesus and this is for all of us running to jesus who is our strong tower and hiding yourself in his refuge um the better off you will be. The better off we will all be, no matter what the tragedy is. Because it's not just an attack on our country. There are tragedies um, that happen in your life, in your family, in, in our community, in our, in our neck of the woods here this past week with Carson City shooting. In 1984, much slimmer, much younger, I was able to walk into the uh, Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Holocaust Museum, and um, it's, it stuns you what happened to the Jewish people. And there are Holocaust museums, you know, here in the United States also, and. I'm sure many of you that have traveled, you've been to them. In 2001 and following, we watched closely and very uh, intently and, and saw how vividly all the pictures and the videos of the World Trade Center attack were. And these two incidents are really connected for me. Because back in the 1980s, um, Israel, uh, we, we flew into Tel Aviv. And our, our tour guide for that uh, Holy Land tour was a retired sergeant out of the Israeli army. And um, as we talked to him, got to start getting to know him, he told us, he said, the reason why you guys, you know, had to delay is that everyone has to delay when they get here. This is 1984, um, and they searched everything. 
when we got to Tel Aviv. And, and he said, he basically just quickly said, yeah, America's not prepared. America is not prepared. And we stop and think, oh, well, duh, you know, who's going to attack America? Come on. At that time, in the early 1980s, they had a much more comprehensive security system. Why? Due to their large list of enemies. And so, there's the... There's that combination of thoughts, and you can you can connect the dots, so to speak. You can see. And there's, like I said, there's not just the the event of ten years ago or the event of this past week. It, you know, we could make a list of twenty some related kinds of tragedies that have happened in our lifetime. Whether it's here in you know, our part of the United States or in the United States or in the world, it will keep happening. It's just going to keep happening. I, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could protect our young people from these kind of things? But we're not going to be able to. What we need to do is learn what it is that Jesus has for us. What does Jesus tell us about it? What, you know... um, Because that's what happens when people hit tragedy. Right away, in our world, in our thought of Western living, what do we think? We start thinking, where's God? How come, God? Why, God? And so, we need to learn what God's Word tells us about these kind of things. It might not speak specifically to it, but God's Word does speak to the things that we face. I've entitled the message, uh, With Jesus at Ground Zero. And it's not just Ground Zero at New York City. It's whatever Ground Zero. Right? Whatever tragedy uh, you end up dealing with whatever tragedy we are facing. I can't imagine what, you know, these families that are reeling with, uh, you know, in Carson City and wherever those folks, you know, wherever they lived. It's, it's just beyond our comprehension why this would happen. Just randomly. I'm going to go to the IHOP this week and meet some guys. And that's it. Well, some people that had to have been hanging around with Jesus decided they wanted to present some of these situations to him. So, let's look at Luke chapter 13. In your Bible, Luke chapter 13, we're going to see what Jesus says. Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. That's the passage that we're looking at here today. There are some present, this is chapter 13, verse 1. There are some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled 
with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came out seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not you can cut it down. And here this morning, there are two main things that I want to see, um, I want us to see of what God's doing here. And number one, number one, if you're following in your outline, it's God's gracious warning. God's gracious warning. The Lord Jesus puts forth the twofold warning, first with a probing question and then with his familiar declaration to repent, which that has been his message, even though we don't always connect that message to repent with Jesus. We connect it more with the prophets or with John the Baptist, but nonetheless, it was Jesus' message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But we, we want to kind of uh, take Jesus and his message and, and shift it to what is more comfortable for us. <laughs> but nonetheless, here's the warning. It's a gracious warning. And we, we wonder, this, this seems like this is a passage where it's like, how come Jesus responds this way? Because that doesn't quite sound like Jesus. Uh, you know, it's like more like, where's his compassion? And he's shifting this all of a sudden to, you know, here's this tragedy. These, here, it's first um, a tragedy, an atrocity, what Pilate did to some of these Galileans. What they, what they um, assume was and, and kind of conclude with this study is that uh, some Galileans came from the north, came down to Jerusalem and were uh, part of the sacrificial system there. You know, they, they were offering sacrifices and Galileans weren't known to be, uh, you know, your, your come-along buddies. They were kind of rebels up there. And they came down and somehow there's maybe an uprising of some sort or a battle or whatever. And some of them were killed by Pilate's crew of uh, guys. But we don't have a lot of history on that event. But it was an atrocity. And then the next thing Jesus says is more of an accident. Here's a natural disaster. This tower fell on these people. We don't know how. And so, 
a part of this, uh, if we look at it as a twofold warning, we've got letter A, this warning keeps us from comparing ourselves. Why do I say that? Well, look at what Jesus asks in verse 2. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Why does he say that? Because the Eastern mind, the Eastern thought was, well, this has to be what? Judgment. What did Job's friends uh, come with? (laughs) Right? Job's friends came with that kind of same mindset. Well, you must have done wrong. You know, and they, and they counseled him <laughs> about how, you know, Job must have been under, you know, here's God's, uh, God's discipline, God's judgment. And so Jesus brings this warning, first of all, keeping us from comparing ourselves because there's a tendency that we all have at least to think, not maybe every time, but from time to time, to be thinking like, oh, that, that guy, that gal. And we do this. Something happens and we, we end up looking down at them for what, whatever, whatever occurred. It's a subtle judging of others in tragedy. And in modern Western thought, it's interpreted more, rather than it's, it's not so much God's divine punishment. Some people do think that. But in Western thought, it's more about, well, where's God? It's God's what? It's God's fault. And that's what the Western mindset tends to think. Not, I'm, I'm not saying everyone, but tends to think that way. Where's God? Why God? And the blame goes subtly back to God for what happened. Jesus' question reveals what all of us tend to do from time to time to inwardly rate ourselves or to compare ourselves. Young people, that, that's a big temptation. You know, you, you're in school and whether it's, you know, the, the appearance thing or the, the, the class and grade stuff and there's a tendency to start comparing. Well, you know, I'm with a group of guys that are really cool. You know, it might be the athlete group might be the musical group or whatever. You know, how could the musical group be as cool as the athletic group? I don't know. But see, that's what we do. There's the, we, in, in all sorts of areas. We compare ourselves. And, and Christ is trying to bring this question out, saying, hey, you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other, the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So beware not to compare with others in that sense. You're, you're answerable to God. That's, that's the bottom line right there. We're answerable to God. And the more we focus on that, you know, you know what's going to happen is the, the better off we'll be with one another. Even if it's with the unsaved, right? Trying to share the gospel with them. And if they reject it, you know what? Uh, whose side are we on? We're on God's side there. God says you can't serve two masters, right? God's gracious warning also, here's the second aspect of the warning. Letter B, 
keeps us confronting ourselves. Why do we say it that way? The tendency is to compare ourselves, to subtly raise ourselves up, but God's in, Jesus is telling us, here's God's approach, is confront yourself. What's he getting at? His message. Repent, or you likewise will perish. And so the idea here, under letter B, number one, is to exercise self-examination. You don't place blame on others or on God, but you show, rather, a readiness to self-examine. And, you know, a lot of us think that the word repent is just for back then in the good old day when I came to know Christ as my Savior and I, I repented. That's, that's all I need to do. I don't need to do any more repenting. That's for sinners coming to faith in Christ, right? Wrong. Wrong. First of all, let me say this. If you've not repented of your sins before a holy God, a perfect God, you need to do that now. You need to do that. Repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way of salvation. Through faith in Christ. Okay? It's not a matter of works, lest anyone should boast. It's all of His grace. It's a gift. The faith that you exercise is a gift from God. Right now, if you sense His leading, you know, if you sense His, His calling you, His, His voice or whatever, whatever we call that, you respond in faith and say, I need to believe in Christ. I don't know if I'm headed to heaven or not. Well, you need to. You need to know that because you don't know when the next tragedy is going to hit and if you're going to be the next victim. That's not intended to scare anyone. It's just the way life is. And so he's, he's given us this gracious warning. And some people immediately read it and say, oh, that's con- condemning. That's negative. We don't like that message. Repent. And it's from Jesus? Yeah. But in it, he's saying, you know, keep away from comparing yourselves and, you know, Categorizing yourselves up in this rating system or whatever. And make sure you're going to confront yourself with the message to you, to your heart. You know it. The older you get, if you're a Christian and you're walking in faith, the older you get, the more you realize it's not about you and how you are going to be a good persuader of whoever you're trying to talk to. You know it. And you know it's more about re, um, just depending on God to work in the, in the situation. And so the more we're called to get on our knees and pray, pray for the situation, pray for that person, and pray that God, maybe He'll use you, but that God would work in that person's life or in that situation that we hear about or see. Okay? Why is it that he says, repent? Well, here's one of the reasons for us that we, we say we know the Lord. You know, this whole thing, it's, it's like a confrontation when we hear this term, repent! But it's due to your heart. 
your heart is deceitful. Okay? The Bible says that. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart, you know, is, you know, it's bent towards the, the old nature. And the more, you know, you're walking with Jesus, talking with you, the more you're going to be learning about what He has for you. And when it comes to the things of God, His truth, or here's this statement uh, that we've read, the more there's a recognition that, you know, of how really stiff-necked I am or hard-hearted that I am. I need to have a, a soft heart when I hear the Word of God. I, I need to have a, a ready heart, an eager heart, hungry for the Word of God rather than my old nature which says, ah, you got so many things to do. What are you wasting time with that for? Got to get up. Got to go. Got to get stuff done. And that's, here's, here's the, the old nature kicking in, wanting to, you know, not get nailed down to, here's the confrontation of His Word. The confrontation of Christ's message. And you know what? <laughs> when it comes right down to it, people are professionals at diverting the issue of Christ's teaching, of Christ's truth. We're top of the line when it comes to deflecting what God has to say. You think about it. When you're trying to talk to someone about the gospel, what typically happens? <laughs> Distraction. The person, and maybe it's the person you're talking to, and they, you know, they realize where this conversation is going, and they say, uh, um, "See ya. Got to, got to get." Or if if there's a good connection being made. Satan's great at this. Phone rings, or the doorbell rings, or someone comes along. Hey, what are you guys doing? You know, and wants to be a part of it. You know, stay on track, you know. But that's the way that the heart works. You know, there's a tendency because what, what's going on is we're, we're really good at protecting our kingdom, protecting ourselves. Rather than bowing before the, the message of Christ and, and receiving it. So even Christ's message in the midst of tragedy is to repent. What does that word mean? It's, it, we, you know, some of you heard it and you know it. It's a change of mind. You, you hear that a lot of times. Repent is to change the direction of your life and change your thinking. Well, it's not just that. You gotta, you know, you're going in this direction, this, the, the physical illustration, and you're going to one, and you turn around and go the other. But it's not just mental, it's your heart, it's your will. Okay? With a simple thing of saying, I've been guilty of this sin. I've been squandering our, our savings by whatever. I'm, I'm wasting money. That's one little sin there. Not just, there's all sorts of other issues of the heart. Turning away from that, saying, no more. I'm not going to go there. That's repentance. Not just a, a change of mind, but a change of mind and of heart and, a, and your will from worse to better. There you go. With God's help, His grace, His Holy Spirit leading you in that way. And faith, or, I'm sorry, repentance is not a one-time action or demand. It's an ongoing dis discipline, just like faith. You, you're a, you, you say you're a believer. You're walking by faith. You need to do that today. You walk by faith. Well, it's the same thing. It's like the, I've said this before, that 
it's, it's the, the two sides of the same coin. Faith and repentance. Okay? Trusting God, believing God, and recognizing, oh, I need to confront myself on this attitude that I felt pop up in my thinking. I sensed it popped up in my thinking because this, here's an attitude. And so you want to exercise faith and repentance as a one-two punch. <laughs> okay? And it's interesting. You stop and think about it. When was the last time you heard anyone using the word repent? <laughs> it's one of those words that conveniently gets kind of booted out of the English language, seems like. Okay, let's move on. So here's, there's God's gracious warning. Okay? And it's a twofold warning to keep us from comparing ourselves with others and to keep us confronting ourselves regarding our own sin. Then secondly, on the back of your outline, it's God's gracious waiting. And it's in the illustration that He gives. The illustration is found in the parable. The parable is a story, you know, an earthly story about a heaven, with heavenly meaning. Okay? And Jesus is the best one at it. Okay? And we gotta be careful with parables because sometimes interpretations of parables go all over the place. And this means this, and this means this, and then the next thing you know, there's America in God's Bible. Or something like that. <laughs> okay, so, it's a parable that he uses. The warning is followed with this illustration which shows us God's gracious waiting. And it's verses 6 through 9. Now, the man, we, we say, is uh, God. Okay? The man here is God who's planted the, the fig tree. And the fig tree, specifically in this parable, listen, it's Israel. Okay? And this is... Uh, demonstrated in other passages of the Gospels and in the Old Testament where God refers to Israel as the, the vine or the fig tree or the olive tree. Okay? And so we see that. Um, if you want to, mark down Isaiah chapter 5 and read that or Jeremiah chapter 2 and you can read about it. The prophets are talking about it regarding Israel as a nation being like a, a, a vine or a fig tree. What's the idea? Well, letter A, he, that's God, he's expecting produce. He's expecting fruit. Either one, produce or fruit. Okay? He planted a fig tree and he came seeking fruit on it. That's what's expected from this kind of creature. <laughs> that's what's expected is fruit. And then he found none. God expected fruit, but found none. And what did he say? Cut it off. Cut it down. And there we see, and there's a little line that you can fill this in, we see in the indignation of God. Because God's people, Israel, were fruitless. They weren't producing fruit. They kept rebelling against God, His message, and His messengers. And thus, they wanted to do their own thing. So God is doing all sorts of things. He's sending them into, you know, exile to get their attention, to, to help them to see. They need to bow before God and God alone, no other idols. 
So God came expecting to have fruit here. Okay. But letter B tells us that there's an extending patience or an extending forbearance. And who is the who is the vine dresser? <laughs> it's Jesus. The vine dresser in the story. It's Jesus. They say, wait. Just wait. Sir, in verse 8, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put manure on it or, or cultivate it. And here, in verses 8 and 9, under letter B, it's, it's extending patience or forbearance, and we see the intercession of Christ. It's offered up. Here's the effort of cultivation to help bring forth fruit. But what does Christ even Himself recognize? Look at verse 9. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, what? There's the, there's the judgment. There's the, the punishment, if you will. Here's cut it down. Well, God's patience, listen, God's patience does not go on and on and on forever. And that involves you and me. And especially if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, or you're not a believer who is walking with the Lord and you're out of fellowship with Him, that needs to get straightened up and and made right, my friend. And it doesn't take, you know, like a rocket scientist to figure it out. It's something that you need to say, I've got to stop doing this. This is what's hurting me and hindering me from fellowship with God. I need to trust Him. I need to walk in faith with Him. You exercise faith in all so many ways of life. We don't even count it all up, but there's all sorts of ways that we exercise faith. And yet, we struggle with exercising faith in Jesus. We get too caught up with the, you know, the escapades of the world, the visions of the world, and the things of the world, and our own, our own agendas. So his warning and his waiting simply reinforces the truth of what? God's love. There's where the compassion comes in. What is he doing here? He's hearing about this atrocity and he's hearing about this accident. And here he's coming forth saying, you know what? You need to make sure you repent. And you are right with the Lord. Because if not, you're going to perish. You know, Israel rejected its Messiah, right? Israel rejected the Messiah. And they went and they took him and they crucified him. And you can read. I'm not going to go through all of it in, in our time this morning. But I want to point this out to you. You can read about what's going to happen with Israel in Romans chapter 9, 
and in Romans chapter 11. Okay? Because Israel, although Israel has rejected its Messiah, Paul says in Romans that there is a remnant that will be saved. Okay? And really, all it, it ends up showing is here's how amazing God is. Here's how faithful God is to His promises. Well, we need to come to our conclusion here. You know, we talk about tragedies, and it is. It's very uh, heart-wrenching. I don't, I don't know what other words to use. It, it's heart-wrenching among others, other descriptions. And I don't think anyone could have figured out a, a, a more terrifying, terrible scenario than what happened ten years ago. Or, you know, even with, here's, you know, the Jews in the Holocaust during World War II. But you know something? There's a worse case scenario than any of them. The worst case scenario is unbelief. This life we live on earth is temporary. We all face death. We're dying right here, right now. We're, we're gradually dying. And at some point, me or you, you know, we're, we're going to stop breathing and be dead. And then there's one of two eternities that you will spend. There's no other options in it. It's either heaven or hell. One or the other. And yes, plenty of atrocities, plenty of natural disasters, plenty of life-threatening diseases. But there's only one everlasting tragedy, and that is your unbelief. An eternity totally separated from God. Jesus Christ came so that sinners could be saved from that tragedy. And if you have been saved from that tragedy, you need to keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just being you know, someone that just sits, quote-unquote, for their Christian life. Learning to grow means learning to then serve, learning to live, learning to you know, say, it's, it's Him, it's all about Jesus in my life. And it's not just an added little uh, accomplishment patch on my Boy Scout shirt. So the worst case scenario is unbelief. And Jesus Christ came so that sinners could be saved from that tragedy, so that sinners could be made right with God. Mark this down. There's two verses I want you to mark down. Second Peter chapter 3 where it talks about the day of the Lord will come. And especially in verse 9, where it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. How many of you think, you know, oh, well, you know, it's just going to go on and on like this for a long, long time? No, no, God's going to come at some point and say, okay, this is it. And He showed patience toward you. And He's not wishing that any should perish. God's not willing that any should perish, but that people should come to... 
what does he say? What does Peter say? That they should come to repentance. Peter's saying that people should come to repentance. So that you repent of your sin before a holy God. And then, along with this, here's the hope. Here's the hope. Don't say I just got on a negative trend here this morning. (laughs) You better repent. Well, yeah, you need to repent if you haven't. And here's the hope. John 16, 33. John 16, 33. Jesus is saying to his disciples, these things I've spoken to you that in, get this, in me. In me, you may have peace. Not in a system. Not in a religion. Not in a national cause. But in me, Jesus, you will have peace. In the world you have what? Tribulation. That word means pressure. Evil pressure. Distress. You got that message? You got that? You know it. There will be tribulation. And then he says, but, I love that, but take courage. Or be of good cheer. And that's not just a painted happy face. Oh, I hate this. No, be of good cheer. Be of good courage. Why? I memorized scripture. I prayed. I went to church. No, no, no. Be of good cheer. Be of good courage. Why? Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then here, yes, tragedies hurt. They hit us like a storm. But you can rise. You can rise with His help, His strength, because of who He is. He lives forever. He's risen up from the grave forever. I I have overcome the world. My son-in-law has the largest collection. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have looked over at Noreen. My son-in-law has the largest collection in the world of Nike tennis shoes. (laughs) I've never seen more Nike tennis shoes. If anyone has a lot of Nike tennis shoes, let's compare the count and we can see who has the most. But all that to say that, you know what the word is for I have overcome the world? It's the word Nike. It is. It's the word Nike. Nikao. It says, I've got the victory. Whoever did Nike shoes came up with a great name. I've got the victory. Jesus has the victory. He's overcome by His death and resurrection. And nothing needs to be added to it. And you and I, if you're a Christian, you need to walk in faith and repentance with Him. And get, get the stuff with the world settled. Get the stuff with yourself settled. The old man needs to be considered as what? Dead. He can't respond to any promptings of the sin world, of of stuff. 
he, he's dead. Consider him dead. Walk in faith and repentance. And your hope is in one who lives forever and he's claimed the victory. I have overcome the world. Our hope and our boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to just ask us to grab our hymnal. And if Noreen, it's number 185. And let's stand together. You know, before you stand, hold on a second. It's number 185, and you, you know this song. Um, listen, we wrap it up with this thought. You know, they're working on a memorial for the 9-11 site um, at Fallon City Hall. We've got a, There's a memorial there for 9-11. And really, I come to this for us as Christians. This is our memorial. It's the cross of Christ. Paul said, I will boast in the cross of Christ. I'm going to boast in that. I'm going to look to that. There's my hope. There's where the sign of victory is. Victory over sin and death. Okay? So, with that, let's stand. Let's sing.